We're in the uh, fifth chapter of the book of Galatians. If you have your Bibles, if you'll go ahead and turn there. Uh, while you're doing that, and I'm doing that, let me kind of uh, do a quick update of where we are and what we've seen. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth because they're a church who has abandoned the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they have abandoned the gospel of Jesus Christ to embrace a different gospel, which Paul says is not even a gospel at all. It's a false teaching. And it's a teaching that rather than accepting that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, that the people were adopting an idea of works that were saved by uh, performing some ceremonial act and then adding to that grace. And if we do the ceremonial act and if we believe in Jesus Christ, that those two things together will bring us salvation. And Paul is so adamantly opposed to this uh, teaching that he says not only is that a teaching from hell, but anybody who would preach such a message is deserving of hell. Now, boy, when somebody says that you're deserving of hell for saying something, it ought to get our attention. We ought to go, wow, you know, what in the world could that possibly have brought that about? That's because he was delivering a message to these people that dealt with their eternity. And when we bring that message today of Jesus Christ and faith in him alone, plus nothing else, we're bringing a message that, uh, that affects your eternity and what you believe. Are you going to accept Jesus Christ and that eternity? Are you going to accept works? And we're going to take a look a little bit more at works uh, in just a little bit. Up until chapter 5 of Galatians, Paul through, uh, God through Paul has been explaining the purpose of the law. And it was a good purpose. The law wasn't bad. Paul said it, the purpose of the law was to be our tutor into the things of God and to of his righteousness. But here in chapter 5, he changes uh, and begins to explain not the purpose of the law, but our freedom in Christ. As a matter of fact, in chapter 5, verse 1, it said, if, if for freedom, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. And Paul wants to focus on that freedom, but it's not just the freedom, but it's the responsibility that that freedom brings. You know, uh, one of the great lines on Spider-Man is, with great power comes great responsibility. Well, let me tell you something. With freedom comes even greater responsibility. He says to the churches, he says, look, you can't use this freedom as an opportunity for sin. There's a responsibility to that freedom, and he wants us to pay attention to that and what's going on. But living in the freedom is really hard, you know it? It's a very hard thing to do. And it is hard because we have a problem. And that problem is what the scripture would refer to as the old man or the natural man. Or here in Galatians, he refers to it as the flesh. Now, the Word of God tells us certain things about the flesh. Look in verse chapter 5 here in Galatians, verse 17. He said, For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. The flesh, we find out in Scripture, Jesus said that it's weak. He said the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. In uh, Ephesians, Paul writes that the flesh craves sin and that it is selfish. And then uh, in Philippians, Paul writes that that's unworthy of any confidence. 
In other words, it says we're not to put any confidence in the flesh. What does that mean to us when we're talking about law, earning God's favor? It simply means people who usually wear these don't have glasses on. Brian doesn't wear glasses. Pastor doesn't wear glasses. I think I've got it. We'll see. And then this way. All right. Thank you, sir. <clears throat> he says we're not to put any confidence in that flesh that it'll fail us. And the reason it'll fail us is because the flesh is at war with God. It's not trying to get along with God. It's not trying to reason with God or figure out what God wants, but the flesh is at war with God. In the letter to the Galatians, Paul mentions this issue of the flesh no less than 10 times. And what I want to do is for us to dig back into this verse 17, and I want you to pay close attention to what he says about it for just a moment. He says in 517, For the flesh sets desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. Think about that. It's in opposition to the spirit, and the spirit is in opposition to the flesh. That word opposition is a very strong word. It actually means that the flesh is at war with the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God is at war with your flesh. There is a war raging in you, and I believe that almost everybody in here already recognizes that. Paul certainly recognized it. Over in the uh, ninth, excuse me, seventh chapter of the book of Romans, I think we may have that up there. And uh, if we begin to look at that in verse 18, Romans 7, 18, this is how Paul puts it. You've probably read this before. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the wishing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I wish, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not wish. But if I am doing the very thing I do not wish, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wishes to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. But I see a different law in the members of my body. Now I'll pause for just a second and get you to pay attention to these two laws that are in opposition to one another. Because in the book of Galatians, Paul's been talking to us about the law of God and that, what that law has to say about uh, salvation or not say about salvation in Jesus Christ. But now he's talking about a law of the body and a law of, uh, against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. Verse 24, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh, the law of sin. Now let me pause for just a second and say, look at that last verse again. And what he says is, with my mind I'm serving the law of God, and with my flesh the law of sin. And you go, wait a minute. In the book of Romans he says he's serving the law of God. In the book of Galatians he says he's opposed to the law of God as a means of salvation and, and serving the law of God. So what is it? It's very simple this. 
<clears throat> simply this. In the book of Romans, Paul is referring to the only law of God that he has come to know. And he talks about it right here in Galatians when he, when he says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. In the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That became the only law that Paul knew, the only law that Paul uh, became obedient to, the only law that we as Christians are to obey because he says if we fulfill that law, we will fulfill everything else that we need to do. But in us, there's another law. That's that law of that flesh that he talked about in verse 17 uh, here in Galatians 5. And it's the law that he talked about over in Romans chapter 7. He said that's a law of the flesh. Notice that it's such a strong pull on us. It has such control on us, this flesh issue, that he actually refers to it as a law. Now, I don't know if there's any police officers in here. They like us to be obedient to the law. Some of us are pretty handy at being lawbreakers, especially when we're behind the wheel. That's when most of us are lawbreakers. Uh, some of us get to be lawbreakers in other ways from time to time, but most of the time it's just a speeding or rolling a stop sign, things like that. But what we find out is if we obey the law, there's some security in that. If we disobey the law, there's some punishment that comes with that. So law in and of itself is not a bad thing. But when it becomes a law of the flesh, and that flesh is at war with God, then you've got a problem. And look at what happens when that law begins to uh, uh, live its way out. Sort of a battle royal going on here between the flesh and between the spirit. Law of sin wages war against God's law. What is God's law here? As I said, it's to love your neighbor as yourself. What is the law, excuse me, what does the war then look like? Well, he said on one side is the flesh standing in opposition to the Holy Spirit of God. And if you read down through there and starting in verse 16, he starts talking about, the, or verse 19, starts talking about the deeds of the flesh. Now I'm going to read them off for you in maybe a little bit different order because I think you divide these up into three different ways. First, there's the deeds of the flesh that are wrapped up in selfishness, complete selfishness. He talked about immorality, impurity, sensuality, drunkenness, and carousing. Carousing he comes back around to a little later. All of these are wrapped around selfishness. They're wrapped around, I'm going to do what makes me feel good. I don't care what, how it affects anybody else. I don't care what the impact is on my family. I don't care what the impact is on my church. I don't care what the impact is in society. I'm just going to enjoy these things all to myself. The next two deeds of the flesh that he identifies are what I would call faithlessness. He says there's also idolatry as a deed of the flesh and sorcery or witchcraft as some translations would put it as a deed in the of the flesh. Now most of us understand what idolatry is. It's taking anything and putting it ahead of God and worshiping that before we worship God. And God quite simply says to us that is an act of faithlessness. But this notion of sorcery <clears throat> now, I don't know if we have any witches running around in our church today, any members of Wicca, but that's not just what this talks about. Over in the Old Testament, it says sorcery is as unto rebelliousness. God uh, correlates and says rebelliousness and sorcery are the same thing. Why would that be? 
Because what, rebellion, what sorcery is, is seeking to rely upon something else besides God to bring some sort of supernatural power into your life or some sort of insight into your life that uh, you rely upon instead of relying upon God. I'll give you some examples of the way we see that today, very typically. Horoscopes, astrology, psychics. Every one of those issues is the practice of sorcery which God says is a deed of the flesh. And it's a practice of sorcery where we are going out there and we are trying to find a secret, learn something in depth that, that God has hidden from us and we really want to know about. Because God says, I have nothing to do with those. I command my children to have nothing to do with those. And anybody who pursues idolatry or sorcery is practicing a faithlessness towards Christ. Then he gives another thing. First, there's a, the acts of selfishness. Then there's the acts of faithlessness. And then there's the acts of contentiousness. He says another, the other list he gives of deeds of the flesh are enmities, strife, anger, jealousy, disputes, dissensions, envying. All of those, the, the selfish things are all those things I indulge myself in the contentiousness are all those things that I go after who are supposed, those who are supposed to be my brothers and sisters in Christ and I take them to task for. When God is saying, I want you to live by that perfect law which is the law of loving your neighbor as yourself. Now, stop and think about it for a second. The perfect law, love your neighbor as yourself versus these deeds of the flesh. Because, you see, if you are pursuing love for your neighbor and love for God, then there's not going to be immorality towards you. Because any immorality you practice is a sin against your neighbor. You say, hmm, impurity? Any impurity you practice is going to be a sin against your neighbor. Sensuality? A sin against your neighbor. Drunkenness? Carousing? Those are sins against your neighbors. Those are not things that you do in isolation. Now, you may go get drunk in a closet. That's true. But then when you wake up and you got a headache and you don't go to work on time or you don't uh, uh, follow through on promises that you've made because of the condition you've put yourself in or you've said, I'll do this, but you go and do that, you're sending it to your neighbor. Contentiousness, I don't think anybody would like to argue that, oh, enmity and strife and anger and, and rebelliousness and jealousy and disputes and dissensions and envying, those don't have anything to do with my neighbors, do they? And when he's talking about neighbors here, he's talking primarily about the body of Christ. It reaches out beyond the body of Christ, but it's primarily within the body of Christ. And then when he talked about the issues of faithless, faithlessness, He's talking about the sin we act towards God. And all of this is ultimately against God. You know, David, King David, he committed adulterous Bathsheba. He had Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, killed. And in Psalms 51, we have what we would call the penitent psalm of David. It's the prayer he prayed to God about that great sin. And he said to God, against, thee on, against you, O God, and you only have I sinned. So wait a minute. You, you commit adultery with Bathsheba, wasn't that sinning against her? Well, yeah, in a way. You killed her husband, wasn't that a sin against him? Well, yeah, but ultimately, every sin that we can uh, commit is towards God. 
and not just towards those people. And so David said to God, he says, God, against you and you only have I sinned. Why would he say that? Because God is the one who gives us that command to love our neighbor, to love himself and to love our neighbor. And so if we fail to keep those, that commandment, we're sinning first against God. Yep, we're sinning against everybody else that follows through. So one hand, we have this, this enemy, which is within us, which is the deeds of the flesh. I used to uh, joke and say the reason some pastors had a tough time of bringing people up out of the baptismal waters, because they took one down and they brought two up. They took down just the old man. They brought up a new creation with God, and he's holding on to that old nature when he came up out of those waters. And he's ready to go and, he's, and, and live in conflict. And we all know that we live in that conflict. One side's the flesh. The other side of the battle is the Spirit of God. And He is waging war against the flesh. And what He is waging war with is this. Listen. This is what the Holy Spirit uses in your life to wage war with the sin. One thing and one thing only. Himself. It is the Spirit Himself who is in you waging war against the flesh that you carry around. Listen to what Jesus said. John 3, 5, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of the water, that's the natural birth, and born of the Spirit. God says, for one by one Spirit, the Holy Spirit, we are all baptized into one body, that is Christ. In Romans 8, 11, it says, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead, that's the Holy Spirit, dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. 1 Corinthians three sixteen. Do you not know that you are the temple of God? And that the Spirit of God dwells in you. You get it? If Sheila was here, what would she say? Got it. <laughs> All right. The Holy Spirit dwells in you, guys. Think about that. The very presence of God rests inside of you if you're a born-again Christian this morning. Right here where you sit. And when you stand up and you walk out these doors, the Holy Spirit of God is dwelling in you and He walks out of there with you. When you get in your car, He drives off with you. When you walk into the restaurant or when you go back home, He goes with you. He never leaves you nor forsakes you. Now, the word for spirit that's used here is a spirit for breath. It literally means breath. And so what he's saying is the Holy Spirit is a person, but he is, so he is so personal to God that the best word God could come up with in the language to describe his relationship to us was to say, he re you walk with the very breath of God in you. One of my favorite verses in, this, in the Old Testament is uh, back in Genesis where he's talking about he made Adam and it says he fashioned him from the, the dirt of the ground and, and I can just see God making mud pies and shaping him up just right. And then it says that after God had taken that, 
that lump of clay and dirt and brought it all together and, and, and probably made a very good looking guy out of it, that he got down and he, God put his mouth against that pile of dirt and he breathed his spirit into it and it became a living being. What a beautiful picture of, of God's personal relationship with us. It is so personal that he walks with us wherever we go, equipping us and preparing us to do battle with this flesh. Does that make it easy? Apparently not. Paul, the great apostle, says, man, every day I'm in this fight. The willing's there. I know what I want to do, but I don't do it. And so I'm sitting there, I'm fighting back and forth and back and forth. Guys, the battle with the flesh is not going to be over until you are in the ground or raptured and you are standing in the presence of God. That's when the battle with the flesh is over. Until that time, you can never relax in the presence of the enemy. Never. It's a tough life. It's a hard way to walk. He says to us, but walk, but I say walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. He says that in verse 15, but uh, excuse me, verse 16, but it's so important he re-says it in verse 25, but if we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. He opens this piece of passage, this point that he's making by saying walk by the Spirit, and he closes this point that he's trying to make by saying, walk in the Spirit. What's that mean? How do you walk in the Spirit? Well, first off, the word walk here means that you are carrying on a daily uh, travel with him. This walking here is not walk over here and sit down. It is not you go to this far and you stop. This walk that he's talking about here is a continuous motion of your life in Jesus Christ. And you're walking in the Spirit every day. Now, the good news is the Spirit never leaves. When Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, he was talking about the sending of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus said to his disciples, don't worry, I'm going to send you another comforter, another helper. That word another in the original language is so wonderful. Because when we say another, you don't know if I mean another of a different kind or another of the same kind. If I were to say to you, I'm going to give you another Bible. Well, is that going to be a New American Standard Bible? Is it going to be a Living Translation Bible? Is it going to be a King James Bible? I can give you another of a different kind. Sort of similar, but it's different. This word that Jesus used when he said, I'm going to send you another helper, it meant another of the exact same kind. And so Jesus said, I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. He's another of the same kind. He takes up residence in you. He dwells in you. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. And so when you're walking, God wants you to walk every day of your life with an awareness of that presence. And then he says, I want you to do it by. He said, I want you to walk by the Holy Spirit. Now, In this case, by doesn't mean passing. I'm going to walk by that chair. I'm passing by it. That's not what it means. First off, it means according to. 
in the way of. And I'm going to come back to that in a moment. But also means that I'm going to walk by him, in other words, in the power that he provides. Jesus said one time, he said, look, don't ever be afraid of giving a testimony. And I say that to everybody in here this morning. Don't ever be afraid of sharing what Jesus has done in your life with somebody. You say, well, I don't know if I'll say it just right, or I don't know if I'll remember everything. I didn't know if I was going to remember everything when I got up here this morning. I don't worry about it. God's responsible for what I said. Jesus went so far and said, don't worry what you're going to say, because in the moment you speak, I will give you the words that you need. The Holy Spirit will give you the words that you need to say what you need to say at that point. So when he talks about us walking, he's talking about a continual motion. When he says by, he's talking about two things. One, through what the Holy Spirit is doing in you, and then according to what the Holy Spirit is showing you. You say, wow, what is the Holy Spirit showing me? Well, you got this. You know, years ago, wasn't that many years ago, I don't guess, uh, everybody was walking around in the church, seemed like everybody was anyway, with little bracelets on that said WWJD on them. You remember that? What would Jesus do? WWJD, you saw it everywhere. You know, that was really a very good idea, is to walk around with that. Because when it says, walk by the Holy Spirit, what he's talking about is asking yourself, what would Jesus do? What has God shown me in his word? What is the Spirit teaching me? What is the, word, what is the Spirit bringing to my memory right now? What is the Spirit encouraging me? Well, how do I hear God in this situation? How do I see God in this situation? How do I respond to God in this situation? Because I want to tell you something. The reason the Bible refers to the flesh in some places as the natural man is because that comes naturally. You don't have to think about what to do in the flesh, do you? Not for a moment. If you're tempted to lie, if you're tempted to cheat, if you're tempted to steal, no matter how small it is, if you're tempted to lust after something, whether it's a, another person or a new car or a new house, whatever it might be, it, it doesn't take any practice. You don't have to, let me get ready for this. I've got to work up this ability to, to, to have this bad feeling in the flesh. Nope. It's, it, but the same way comes the way we participate with God depends on whether you have to pause and say, okay, what does God really want out of me on this? You know, what should I do? Versus being so in step in your walk every day with the Spirit of God. You don't have to think about what you ought to do any more than what you think about doing in the flesh. Does that mean overcoming the flesh becomes easy? No. It's still hard. It's still a war. There's still people get wounded in wars. People get bloodied in wars. But God wants us to walk in by the Spirit. And then he says, now here's what's going to be the outcome of that. You're going to be able to see what the result of the Spirit is in your life versus what the result of the uh, deeds of the flesh are in your life. He gave us a long list of the deeds of the flesh. I think he was just ranting at them to some degree. But now he comes back and he's going to give us lists. He says, here's a list of what it looks like if you're walking in the flesh. Now let me tell you what it's going to look like if you walk by the Spirit. He said, it's going to be a walk that is in love. It's going to be marked by love. And that love is a sacrificial act. 
It's, it's an act that looks to the other person before it looks to self. So there's no selfishness in this love. It's going to be a, a walk that is marked by joy. That doesn't mean you're always happy. Because happiness is circumstantial. But you can always have joy because the joy is the spirit teaching you that God has control of that situation. And that he hasn't turned loose of you and he's going to keep you. He said, if you're walking in spirit, it's going to be in the presence of peace. That doesn't mean an absence of conflict. He's talking about an inner peace here, a confidence that comes. Because remember, this battle between the flesh and the, and the spirit is a war. So it's not an absence of, of, of opposition or of conflict. It's, a, it's the presence of the knowledge of God. It's going to be marked by kindness, not all that uh, contentiousness that is, that is wrapped up in the flesh, not all this self-seeking. It's going to be marked by goodness, not all this selfishness. It's going to be marked by faithfulness, not idolatry and, and sorcery. It's going to be marked by gentleness. It's going to be marked by self-control. And that's what God's going to bring into your life. Listen, the Holy Spirit's going to lead you to walk like Jesus. Jesus said, I'll ask my Father, He's going to send you another comforter. He's going to be just like me. And, you know, when Jesus was on earth, He was teaching those disciples how to walk just like Him. They got to see Him every day. They got to see how He prayed. You say, wow, man, if I could see how Jesus prayed, wouldn't that be cool? I'd really know how to pray then. Scripture says we don't even know how to pray, but the Spirit of God prays through us with groanings we can't even utter because the Spirit is praying deep prayers right inside of you. He's coming along beside you, and you see, well, I could see what Jesus would do. I see how Jesus would treat people. The fruit of the Spirit, all of those fruit is how Jesus would teach and treat people, and that's how God will lead you to treat people also. You can look and you can ask yourself, wow, was that, was that kind? Was that gentle? Meek? Good. You see, that, those nine fruits of the Spirit, that's not an all-inclusive list. That's not everything the Spirit's ever going to bring out of you. That's just the high points. So here's where the rubber meets the road. Flesh meets Spirit. Christians meet the world. If you're a Christ follower, you have this great battle raging. And it's a nonstop the side of heaven. But you do not fight this battle alone. Even when you are alone, you don't fight the battle alone. When you're sitting in front of a TV screen all by yourself, when you're choosing what internet site you're going to go to all by yourself, when you're choosing what movie you're going to walk into all by yourself, when you talk, think about how you're going to approach somebody, you're not alone. And do not fight it with works. And that's the reason Paul brings us to the Galatians' attention. What he's saying to them is, guys, you cannot fight the flesh with works. What the uh, with the law, excuse me. You can't fight the flesh with the works or with the law. 
You fight it with love. And you fight it with the Holy Spirit. To see how you are doing, simply ask, what would Jesus do? If you're not then doing that, you're failing to love. It's not that you told a lie. It's not that you got into an argument. It's not that you gossiped. It's not that you were envious. That's not the issue. The issue was you failed to love. You failed to love God and you failed to love that person that it's directed towards, those emotions or those feelings or those thoughts or those words or those actions. And you failed to love yourself. Because that's what God is calling us to do, to love others as you love yourself. You know, we're going to be celebrating Independence Day tomorrow. Freedom. And uh, I don't know if we can really understand what that meant to our founding fathers who lived under a tyranny that we haven't lived under in this country for a long, long time. But God is calling us to a different type of freedom, a freedom where we get out from under the tyranny of the flesh because it is a battle that can be won. It's a war with battles, and those battles are fought one at a time, and you can win every one of those battles. Will you always? Probably not, but you can. There's no reason to quit fighting just because you won't win every one of the battles. The question is, what are you going to do? Are you going to fight the good fight? Are you going to put yourself in a position where you are in fellowship with the Holy Spirit of God and allowing Him to be your teacher and your enabler and your encourager and your comforter and your helper and your, and your advocate every day? Or are you just going to try to pick Him up when it feels comfortable and say, oh, come on, I need you now. You know, today I'm having a really tough day because it's really not good. I tried all my ways which were all the flash ways. None of those work too well, so let's try it your way. That's what it boils down to. You want God's way first, or are you going to just try to bring God's way in a little later? Paul said, I want you to be free. It was for freedom that Christ has set you free. You can almost hear him shout that. He is so excited about it. He doesn't want you to be under bondage, not to the law, not to the flesh, not to anything, but be a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Now we're going to close in a word of prayer, and I don't know how God's spoken to you this morning. This has been a message primarily to uh, the church, to those who are Christ followers. It hasn't been so much a message to the lost, but maybe you've been fighting that battle, you're lost, you've never accepted Christ, and you've been fighting that battle, and you say, you know, I really want to have a victory. I really am tired of fighting this flesh because it's wearing me out too. If that's you, you come see me when we get through. When we close and you come and you say, how do I become a Christ follower? How do I win some of these battles instead of losing them all the time? Or maybe you're just a believer and you look at your home and you say, wow. And you look at your life and you say, wow, both of these look more like the flesh than they do the spirit. Most of these are the deeds there rather than the fruit here. Maybe you just need some counseling on that and some talk on that. I encourage you to come see me or Brian or maybe you feel more comfortable waiting till Pastor Sidney's back and talking to him. That's great. Just don't lose your freedom 
and the, the fun that is in that freedom in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that uh, you have bought us freedom in Jesus, that we are not slaves to sin, that we are not slaves to Satan, that we are not slaves to the laws of sin, the flesh, Lord, that you have given us freedom, that we're not slaves to a, a religious law, Lord, that we can enjoy life and we can enjoy walking into your presence as children into your throne room and get to stand before God and say, Father, this is what's going on in my life and I want to draw near to you and have you draw near to me. Lord, we know that your spirit lives right here in us and precious Holy Spirit of God, we pray that you would fill us, that you would encourage us and comfort us. I pray that as we leave here, that you would take us and, and teach us, call us into ministries and service, call us to be the husbands that we should be or the wife that they should be or the parents that we should be. Lord, just let us breathe in your spirit as you have breathed, breathed him into us. We pray these things in the precious and the holy and the magnificent name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Enjoy your 4th of July.